0: Funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little
1: anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? Girl? They can see it in my eyes.
2: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshpitNation.com. This week's guest is the legendary artist Derek Hess. For those of you who may not know who Derek is, which I would assume if you are a fan of this podcast and a fan of a lot of the musicians and other artists that I've had on this podcast, that would be kind of hard to believe, but in the event that you may not know who he is, uh, Derek is a graphic design artist, artist, painter, just artist in every sense of the word. Uh, You may have seen some of his artwork on album covers, such as... uh, in flames come clarity. He also was on a album cover for Seven Dust's uh, Alpha record, I believe, is what it was called. Uh, he also did a bunch of Matchbook Romance album covers and used to be the head organizer of uh, Hess Fest, which later turned into Stress Fest uh, once the clothing company Stress ended up coming out. Uh, to be able to get to talk to someone like Derek, it was very, very uh, nerve-wracking. I was very excited and nervous to talk to someone of Derek's stature uh, and I know I've gotten to talk to a lot of different people uh, over the course of the year or so doing this podcast but I still get nervous and Derek is one of those people whose uh, output of art is, is just awe-inspiring and it was interesting being able to watch the documentary leading up to my chat with Derek uh Force perspective documentary uh, it's a very great in-depth look at Derek's life between how he got into his art how you know it's Evolved a little bit over the years in the different mediums that he does it in. uh, The correlation and tie-ins to band stuff and and all of that. And then obviously it gets into him dealing with uh, alcohol addiction and his bipolar disorder and and all of that. Uh, The whole reason we actually got to talk, though, was because of a book he has coming out. Or that is out now as of the time of this being dropped. uh, 31 Days in May. Uh, It is a visual journal of mental illness and addiction and it's it's a collection of a lot of actually all of Derek's artwork uh some of it that he had done last year during May uh during the mental health awareness month and a lot of extra art that dealt with that subject matter and having gotten a copy of the book uh, in a PDF form it was just really crazy to see all of this stuff just all of his art and see so much minute details put into it and I mean, the guy is just an incredible artist, and I can't say anything that hasn't already been said about him. But I was really pleased to be able to get to spend some time and talk to someone like Derek about the book, uh, ask some questions about it, as well as just kind of shooting the shit about the current music scene and his uh, radio show and uh, Fest and a few other things. Something I've become very aware of is that people don't want to hear me bullshit so much in the intro, so I'm going to start trying to keep them a lot shorter, more compact to the point, Uh, but if you would like to hear me ramble on even longer than you do weekly uh, with my podcast, uh, I got to be a guest over at the Discography Discussion podcast uh, where we broke down... The Eslay Dying discography, who uh, we get into so much more other than just uh, Eslay Dying material and the albums, but that is the crux of why they had me on. Uh, it is a lengthy conversation at uh, three and a half hours, I believe, and I'm only maybe 40 minutes into it myself. So uh, if you would like to check that out, uh, if you don't get enough of me talking, uh, go over there, give that episode a spin. Thanks to those dudes for having me on, and uh, let's get into my conversation with Derek Hess.
0: Everybody, how are you
2: doing good? How are you doing?
0: I'm all right. I should wear my glasses. huh? All
2: right. <laughs> so I have the pleasure this afternoon of speaking with a uh, legendary artist Derek Hess. How are you doing this afternoon?
0: I'm doing well.
2: Thanks. How are you? Very good. Um, so we're talking because you have a new book getting ready to come out 31 days of May. And I recently got an advanced copy of it and was going through it this past weekend leading up to us talking and I really wanted to talk about the book itself uh, quite a bit, but I kind of wanted to have you explain what the book is in your own words for those who may be interested in, uh, in picking up this book. Well, the book is uh, it's about uh, mental
0: health and addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And last year, last May, uh, May is the mental health month, right? And so last May, we would put up a, I put up an image on my Facebook and my Instagram and they did an explanation about it, how it related to uh, mental health and/or addiction, and uh, we did that every day for May, 31 days, and the response was huge. I, I mean, I didn't wasn't really expecting it, but just people were like, "Oh, I'm so happy you're talking about it." You know, this has been you know something I've been struggling with. I don't feel comfortable talking about and 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 things like that and and it's like i mean it wasn't just a few emails it was a lot of emails and uh, a lot of people are like you know i'm glad that, that this is coming out in the open and so on and so forth and you know for me i always talk about it so it's never been like taboo to me so i never really think about that and and the, the fact that other people want to you know keep it on the down low because they don't it's not socially acceptable you know and uh uh, so I'm, I'm working on uh, getting rid of the stigma about mental illness, uh, all forms of mental illness. My, my personal form is bipolar, too. Um, so, yeah, last year that did really well as far as the response went. And we decided, well, you know, it's, it's next May, which is this May. Let's do the, take all the images that we did and post them just like we did on Instagram and Facebook, but add more pictures to each day and put it out as a book. And, uh, you know, the, the response has been great. I mean, a few people have seen it. You know, we don't – hard copies show up tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we're printing it ourselves, Stress Press, S-T-R-H-E-S-S, Press. And uh, so you you, and a few other people have seen it, you know, via online. hmm And uh, so – and the response from just a handful of people seeing it, it's been great. And uh, so we're really excited about it. And uh, um, hopefully, uh, you know, a lot of people will get it. I mean, not
2: get the book, which would be nice. But get <laughs> what the book, they'll get what the book is about. Right. You know, going through the book, I mean, a lot of your, your art is very, it just kind of captures your eye regardless. It's, it's just, you know, very distinct and something there was a specific entry uh in the book uh may 21st i don't know if you recollect the specific dates and i know like you said there's a lot of images but there was one and as i was kind of reading some of the the words that went along with the the days and kind of what you were trying to encapsulate with the images you wrote that on this entry that you talked about how a lot of people come to you and tell you how much they appreciate your art but no one really ever asks how you are doing as as the person and it's always interesting to me in a day and age where we're so connected by so many social media apps and so forth that we're actually severely disconnected from one another on a, on a human level. And so what was interesting to me is even though a lot of your, if they don't have words attached to the images, that you use a lot of nonverbals in your, your art between the color choices you use and so forth. And so I was kind of wondering, do you find the lack of connectivity in this sense Kind of frustrating when you're being appreciated and praised for something, but people are kind of missing the bigger picture, so to speak.
0: Yeah, uh, of course. That's why I wrote about it. Um, I get that, you know, like, oh, I love this piece, you know, which I appreciate, definitely. You know, people like, I love this piece, I can relate to it, so, so forth. And then that's it. It's well, you know, this piece may or may not be like a cry for help. I mean, it's not a really cry for help. I'm not cutting myself, or anything like that. But you know, there's a hell of a lot going on in some of this artwork, and people just don't realize that. You know, there, there's a hell of a lot going on from the the producer of the art, mm-hmm. and that's why it looks the way it does. And uh, so, yeah, the, this, there's a disconnection. I think, uh, I think a lot of people. I mean, I, I'm guilty of it. Like, I really love someone's artwork without asking, Oh, well, like, you know, well, are you okay? You know, when I when I relate to it, so I understand. But uh, it, it gets frustrating, you know,
2: after a while, and. Uh, it makes it actually makes you feel lonely.
0: Adversely, do
2: you find that sometimes when you're making something that has had a is having a profound impact on you as you're currently in the throes of making it, do you sometimes think about? And I know this is kind of a taboo; like you're not supposed to make art for other people because as soon as you do, it, it kind of is devalued. But do you ever think about like when you make something like man, like I know and can think of somebody coming to you and telling you how like really how much something means to you, like, Oh, this, you know, this piece saved my life or, you know, so on and so forth. Do you ever kind of think about that as you're making some pieces sometimes?
1: Uh,
2: as far as what,
0: as far as how other people perceive it. Yeah. Uh, um, No, I well, don't really think about, no, no, I don't really think about, well, I'm going to make this because someone will like it. You know, I, I, I'm blessed that people like it when I make it and uh so I, I'm just making I'm making art for me and uh when people dig it then that, that's just wonderful but I'm not trying to sell something with with a specific image that I know will will sell I mean an angel I do a lot of angels mm-hmm. I know people like angels, but I'm not doing them because I know people like angels I'm doing them because they're they're a, a fun vehicle to get get a message across or a feeling across visually right
2: uh kind of speaking to to some of your you know, your mediums that you use, uh, in the book and specifically the dual diagnosis, I kind of was really interested in how, how, and I kind of wanted to know how much thought went into what words and phrases that were left legible in those images versus what was obstructed by the actual drawing itself.
0: Well, most of those, it was just by chance. Okay. You know, I wasn't trying to say the, Phrase. I know a lot of good phrases got covered up, but I, I, I immediately just thought of the the text I was drawing on as a, a texture, as a background. Okay. And uh, I think it was really it. It's, it makes a really cool background, obviously, because you get drawn in by the piece, the drawing, and then you see all this dialogue underneath it. That's all this crazy stuff, you know, about you know. Uh, all, all kinds of bipolar stuff, all kinds of dual diagnosed stuff you know mm-hmm. from actual they came from actual worksheets I had when I was on uh, intensive outpatient from uh, from my uh, my IOP intensive outpatient, and I would take the papers they would give us uh, and then I would just draw on top
2: of them. Yeah, it was kind of interesting looking at the book. I, I was wondering, and same with like, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the, the series, but it was kind of that you were explaining this phase of like how you kept all these old fortunes uh, from fortune cookies and used those for, for various imagery, whether you completely black them out or to make it look like it had weight or so on and so forth. So I was kind of wondering how much of some of the mixed medium things you're using are like the phrases that are left open, like there's more to reading everything and taking everything in, or if it's just kind of happenstance that like that cool phrase that's at the bottom that maybe seems like it's very impactful. Well, it just kind of was happenstance that I didn't happen to go over that. Um, or if there's just so much more thought going into it, then maybe the the average person may look into it. Well, yeah, it's both. I mean, for the fortune cookie one, definitely. I wanted people to be
0: able to read them, you know, yeah, they're, they're darkened up. So they, they match the, uh, the bricks and the weight that is on the back of the figure uh but i wanted people to be able to read them because that was what was the name of that piece the the fortunate one or fortunate yeah friend? i i was trying to yeah i think it was it
2: definitely played off of the fortune and something yeah. so like very clever wordplay but i couldn't remember which one it was so i didn't want to speak out of turn and be like oh, i think it was but i think it, was, it the, was one of those. yeah yeah
0: it was one of those and uh i had a lot of fun with that one i went and bought a bag of fortune cookies and just cracked them all open and started reading <laughs> this is the winner oh that one sucks this is a winner oh that one sucks. you know and uh so that was a lot of fun doing that one and and like you said other ones you know the phrase may show up you maybe i'll see it and it, it may tie it to the piece you know and uh but it's not intentional so sometimes thought goes into it other times like
2: i said it's a background that i'm working on top of um something i very prevalent in a lot of your work is and you kind of said to it already a lot of use of angels and sort of religious imagery you know in your in the documentary you put out a couple of years ago the force perspective documentary uh and in a lot of the things you've been doing over the last handful of years bringing awareness to you know the the bipolar disorder and so forth and the different mental stigmas around them you know you bring up a lot of religious imagery and you've kind of gone on record and said like you're not a religious person So I kind of had wondered, when you're doing some of the sketches, do you tend to find that almost on a subconscious level that some of these these crosses in religious imagery just happens to show up? Or is it a a kind of a conscious thing to play off of sort of a duality of sorts with a lot of these things?
0: It's it's a conscious uh, thing. It's like, well, one thing, you know, no religion has a a copyright on angels. (laughs) No. (laughs) So angels are fair game for sure. And as far as crosses go, people were getting crucified a long time before Christ got crucified. Right. It was a way that people were, were executed and killed for, you know, and tortured and torturous way to die. And so I know that, uh, you know, the Christian religion, you know, the, cr- the cross is huge, obviously. It's a huge image and, and they, they like almost own it. But uh I like to use it and it it draws people into it the figure it just makes it more dramatic you know because we are used to seeing it in religion and uh but generally uh, the the piece then slips away from being religious uh, uh slides into being spiritual and sometimes not e- not even a, just a uh, it's just a prop to uh get a message across or feeling across a lot of them are not necessarily a message you know a lot of them are just trying to catch a feeling and a mood um
2: and hopefully the, the the viewer will get it. The other thing that you seem to use a lot, and I was trying to just think of a lot of different ways that it could be why it was used, but you, the use of like tires. And I was trying to tires out are what was that? Tires. Uh, tires are fun because people
0: throw them all <laughs> over the place. Okay. I mean, you can't swing around a dead cat without hitting a tire, man. They're everywhere. They, uh, Especially around where I live, people, you know, there's there's a few blocks around here, uh, a few blocks further away. Actually, I moved into a pretty decent joint, but uh tires always. They, people go around; they dump tires. Whoever these mm-hmm. companies that, and they just they they get paid to dispose of these tires. And what they do is they just go and they throw them off in tree lawns and they throw them off in garbage piles. This and that. So it's something that's discarded. Okay, it's
2: recognizable, and that's why. I, that's why I used the tire. I was kind of wondering if that was what it was. It was just a, a very identifiable symbol of just kind of a, th- a very throwaway f- object, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. But I noticed that it pops up quite a bit, especially in the book. So I was like, "There's got to be potentially there's got to be something more to it." I um, think, yeah, I think they're. A lot of, I think tires are a
0: lot of fun to draw. I'm, I'm on a tire kick. And, I do the garbage cans, the garbage cans spilled over, you know, and it's just like kind of cool to throw tires in there and sometimes hefty bags, you know, with mm-hmm. the garbage in it, fences with barbed wire uh, and weeds overgrown with weeds and things like oh, those lines. I, I think it's a lot of fun, actually, to draw that kind of
2: stuff. You know, something, you know, I live here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but, you know, being here in the Midwest, much like yourself. Something I've kinda of have wondered, because you know, a lot of a lot of artists and a lot of people, once they achieve a certain level of success or fame, are kinda of quick to get out of where they came from, so to speak. And I've kinda of often wondered, have you and I, I think you have lived in other areas over the course of, you know, your career, but you're back and back home, and so I've wondered, is there something about Cleveland or about Ohio or maybe even the Midwest in a way bigger spectrum? That you find inspiration from, or why have you never really left permanently from your residence there? Well, actually, I have only
0: lived in one other place, and that's been Detroit.
2: Okay, and that's just down the road.
0: I mean, right. Go to, Toledo, go to Toledo and hang a right, and you're in Detroit. Right. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, am I'm a Cleveland boy, you know, and I love my city. Um, and it's definitely on an upswing right now. It's been on an upswing for about the past ten years. And uh, the seasons, you know, how everybody bitches about the gray clouds. <laughs> like, yeah, we got gray clouds, you know, but, uh, you know, you're, you'll have that, you know. And uh, actually, I find it kind of inspirational, you know, with the whole doom and gloom that I draw. You know, it's just kind of the, the environment uh, affects me, you know, along those lines. And, you know, we're, we're right on the Great Lake. We're right on Lake Erie. So we have that, you know, that resource to, you know, recreation and fishing and all that. And then it freezes over and people go out on the lake, which they shouldn't do anymore because of global warming or climate change. The lake isn't safe to walk on anymore. Like when I was a kid, we used to drive dirt bikes on the lake. Oh, shit. It was awesome. But you can't do that anymore. I mean, it's 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 a huge, it's obvious there is climate change. And for people who
2: bitch about it, go walk on Lake Erie. That's what I'm <laughs> So kind of shifting gears a little bit from your book, um, I know a lot of people are probably sort of like myself, you know, early 30s or so, that found your artwork maybe through concert posters, album covers you may have done. Uh, I mean, for me, it was actually one of my favorite lyricists, Keith Buckley, having a piece of your art in his apartment that he talked about in one of the band's DVDs from the early 2000s. And, you know, you use a lot of lyrics and, and titles from songs and so forth in your pieces, and so I was kind of wondering, do you find that listening to music inspires a piece of art? Or have you even had an instance where a piece is done, it may not have a title, and then you, you know, you're listening to a song, and like that aha moment happens where you're like, oh, that lyric just fits perfectly with this piece I'm working on. Yeah, it's like that, definitely. Or, or I'll have a line, a, a one-liner
0: out of a song, and then that line will, will inspire a piece, not necessarily the song. Song. The song might be about something different, but, you know, there's a one-liner in there. It's it's just killer, you know, and uh, and I'll use that for a, a launching pad on a piece of work, definitely.
2: Have you found, you know, something I've always wondered with, you know, talking with, you know, a lot of tattoo artist friends that I have, you know, they work on some things for a long time. You know, there, there may be a piece where they're like, i was been working on this concept or this idea for, you know, the last five years, and I just kind of never figured out a way to finish it, quote unquote. Do you have those same kind of pieces because it seems like you know when watching the documentary you have almost like a gallery's worth of stuff just you know drawers and shelves and stuff and it kind of was interesting to you know when you were pulling out different stuff that you had done in the early 80s or so forth you know oh here's you know a poster I was working on when I work at the Euclid and so forth and it was just like damn like is there ever anything that you were like oh I was working on this thing and I have it I never finished it and then maybe you look back on and go huh I have an idea now how to to complete this does that happen to you or still
0: no, no, that that rarely that happens. Usually, if I don't complete a piece, I've already psyched myself out and say, "This piece won't work." You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so was, occasionally though, I'll go back and I'll find something, and I'm like, "Oh wow, I was on the right track here. I' don't know how to finish it up now that I've stepped away from it for a
2: while. you know. Um, I think most artists work that way. It's it's kind of weird when, like I said, a few of my friends have pulled out pieces and they're like, "Oh, I, I finally fi- you know finally finished this thing that I just haven't done in a long time." And I was like, "You know, a lot of people are very much like yourself, where it's like, eh, if it's it's not done and it's not coming to me, like it's I'm moving on to the next thing where inspiration strikes." So just kind of had wondered since you have access to so much of your your art over the last you know twenty thirty years, uh, if you've, there's ever been anything that you've kind of come back to and been like, "Wow, I, I kind of have an idea on how to finish this or repurpose it for something different."
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have. Definitely. Um, you know, not not a lot. It's not like, you know, that's how I work. It's uh, definitely a put I. let me see. I tend to save most of what I do, you know, and I have drawers in the flat files where I put stuff unfinished in there or stuff that I don't like in there, you know, because Marty, my business partner, bitches at me if I throw anything out. <laughs> God bless him. And uh, um and again, you know, I will go back through there sometimes. And like today, I, I'm, I'm putting a portfolio together for a Hell City tattoo convention in uh, Columbus that mm-hmm. I'm going to this weekend. And I, I opened a, a drawer of old stuff and, you know, I'm putting art pieces in the portfolio people can flip through. And uh, I found a few things that I did like in 2001 that I'm like, wow, you know, I, like you said, I went and I, I drew back into it a little bit. And I'm like, there, voila, it's done. And
2: uh, <laughs> put them in the portfolio. Um, But, yeah, it works that way. It can't work that way. Out of curiosity, and I don't think I've really ever have seen this really mentioned, per se, or asked, but, you know, with your style would kind of seemingly lend itself... You know, a lot of people have your stuff tattooed on them because it it kind of very flows very well for body shapes and sizes and so forth, different parts of bodies, like arms and, and so forth. And so I kind of had wondered, have you ever... Dabbled in tattooing at all, like just kind of as a a different medium to work in. No, no, never. Never did it. No, no desire to do it. (laughs) That's a whole other ball game, you know. Leave that to the professionals, right? So, kind of, you know, speaking more about you know your work with bands and so forth, you used to do the Hess Fest, uh, and then eventually Stress Fest, as it became known. And, you know, in the you know Force Perspective docu- documentary, they talked about, you know, your pretty successful career booking bands at the Euclid and so forth. Do you ever miss kind of being involved in the industry in, in that realm?
0: Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I had a great time doing it. I booked the Uke from 80, 89 to 95. Um, so I was doing all the Touch and Go bands, the Amphetamine Reptile bands, the Alternative tentacle bands, Sub Pop bands, uh, Touch and Go. I think I already said that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was doing all those bands in that circuit, you know, plus plenty others. So that was a cool scene at that time, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But I, you know, I got burned out. Um, Ninety-five, I was done. You know, that, that's that, that's a high burnout job.
2: Oh you know? yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, it was a number of years went by before we started working with uh, bands again, in in uh, with our clothing line, the Stress mm-hmm. Clothes, S-T-R-H-E-S-S, clothing line. And, uh, and that was fun because I didn't have all the, as much pressure on me because I was, I had a team work, I was working with before at the UK, it was just me doing all the showing up sound check you know, making sure the bands are fed work and working the door and staying there to load out, you know, and then going home at three in the morning depressed because I lost money and eating a box of cereal, you know, so that, <laughs> That's how that worked in the 90s but uh it, it, in the 2000s it was a little different cuz Marty was involved and we had some booking agents that were involved that were we're all on the same page and uh, the music had changed you know music tends to change every 4 to 5 years it seems like mm-hmm. um, as generations you know come in you know you don't want to listen to your big brother's hardcore you want to hear your hardcore you know um so the music had changed and uh, my artwork was still uh, viable with that scene as well because um, the artwork kind of changed and, and morphed into that that style of music and we were kind of like mind you know visually and and musically and so there it was a good fit and uh so it was a lot of fun, but you know i'm that's that's not my thing
2: i'm that's a young man's sport you know it's kind of interesting in, you know, some of the stress that I mean, growing up here in the Midwest and seeing those, like, I never got to go to any of them, but there were always just stacked lineups that I was like, fuck, I really want to go to Cleveland and go see these bands and see this festival. And, you know, one of the bands that you worked with kind of consistently on those was Converge. And I kind of, in doing some digging, I didn't really see a whole lot of information on this. So if this is something that has happened, you know, forgive me for not finding it, but did you, have you worked with Jake uh, Bannon on anything like collaboratively? Like, I mean, he's a pretty well-known artist now in the underground as well himself. And oh yeah. I, I haven't seen any collabs between the two of you, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. Yeah, no, we,
0: we never collaborated in the artwork. You know,
2: I, I've worked with him obviously doing the CD covers
0: and doing some concert posters and, uh, you know he's a great guy. You know Jake's my, Jake's my buddy, and uh, you know we work well together. He's always got great ideas uh, about his music and visual arts. He's he's you know spot on. You know he he's one of those guys
2: that he's got it going on, right? And, uh,
0: but we we never collaborated on a piece
2: or anything like that. No, it's just always something. I mean Jake's work is uh, there's like a handful of people that are very and like this weekend. Like I was saying, I was in Chicago. And uh, you can kind of maybe see behind me, I have some Jermaine Rogers posters. And uh, what's interesting is like a handful of my friends are really big into Jermaine Rogers and a lot of the concert poster scene, I guess, for lack of a better word. And it was kind of interesting because when I was watching the documentary this weekend and going through your book, you know, one of the dudes I was with was like, I haven't thought about Derek Heston so long. I had this, I had a couple pieces from him in the early day, and then you know, like that's how I found out about Converge, and then I got into Jake's stuff, and so on and so forth. And it was interesting because it's like you know everything was based around music and going to concerts that we were discussing, based on you know from concert posters, but it transitioned very quickly into the art and the art form of you know the artists themselves, what they're making. You know, I mean, we went to a place in uh, Austin, Texas where I guess Jermaine has a bunch of these posters and so forth, and the gallery that curates a lot of his stuff, uh, it was just wild listening to the dude go on about like, oh, this is a specific kind of paper that we made for this thing or that we tried and just things like, you know, I make I work at a screen printing company and for shirts. So there's a lot of different inks and so forth that we use that I, I'm aware of in that realm. But like to hear someone so versed in textures of paper and so forth it was very interesting just to hear someone go on for about an hour about all these different things and how it works to create this this optical, not illusion per se, but these different dynamics within the image that you're seeing. And I know like you just posted something on your Instagram, I believe today, about an hour ago, about how you're doing a print on aluminum. And, right. you know, I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, what, I mean, what was that kind of like, you know, working in a different textile, I believe would be the word I'm looking for. Oh, it, it,
0: aluminum is really great. Actually, we work with a company that it, it, is able to print on the aluminum, so we work directly with them while they make them. And uh, it, it's it's a new technology that that you can print on aluminum. They, you know, uh, drop ceilings. Yeah, you know the squares. Little, mm-hmm. they, they, they can print on those.
2: Oh wow! How do they do it? Well,
0: I don't know, but you, don't just, <laughs> and you look up in the ceiling and it's like the underside of a bunch of bombers and fluffy white clouds and stuff flying over your head oh, wow. on these drop ceiling panels. And, uh, you know, technology is just it's its crazy what you can do now. And, and it, five years, 10 years, one year from now, it should be, you know, it would just it, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, it's uh, opening up a lot of avenues and doors for printmakers to be able to to find new things that, that they can print on. Um, papers definitely like 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 he was talking about the paper and the inks and all that is very important I, I majored in printmaking okay and so I know about the papers I know about you know how how much transparency you want in in the ink how opaque you want the ink how thick or thin if it's humid out when you're printing you know all, all these factors go into the screen printing and and lithography I, my, my my major was printmaking but I studied lithography specifically um, so yeah, a lot, hell of a lot goes into it, and uh, the the aluminum prints I think are really fun. Um, they 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 came out
2: really nice, really really nice. Does seeing something like that, like where you're doing it for the first time in your career, does that inspire you to want to figure out new ways to work in that medium? Well, it always gets you thinking, you know, and
0: and uh, it uh, uh, it can you know definitely does inspire and uh, it. it and, uh, well, shit. That's about like, all I can say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's very cool and it's awesome. It, it can get you thinking. And again, like, it's just gonna ex- things are just exploding right now in the printmaking world.
2: Awesome. Well, i uh, about at the end of our time here. So uh, the book, uh, again, 31 Days in May, is coming out uh, soon. What is the actual release date for this book?
0: I think it's tomorrow. Oh, when we,
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, they're being shipped. They, I think they got printed in
0: Tennessee, and uh, we got to do Hell City in Columbus. So it's like we need the books for Columbus. So we're gonna get them. To, we'll get them the day before as usual. Right down. To the lab. <laughs> uh, and then speaking of. Uh, <laughs>
2: Right, and then speaking of, uh, you have a sort of book slash speaking tour uh, coming up uh, starting four twenty on Columbus uh, for the Hell City Tattoo Festival. It runs through uh, the following month uh, ends on May June June
0: thirty first. No, no, uh, May thirty first.
2: Sorry, yeah,
0: we're doing the we We're doing the thirty one days of May. So Columbus just happens to be before May, and we wanted to do this festival. And then May first, I start the book tour, and it's in Phoenix. And then they go to San Diego, LA, San Clemente, San Francisco, doing Florida, a couple of dates in Florida, Georgia, Nebraska, Syracuse, uh, New York, um, Augusta, Georgia. I already said that, and, and a handful more that I can't think of. But um, there's a couple Ohio yeah, dates that so- kind of rounded out. I think. Oh
2: yeah, definitely some Ohio dates, and, uh, uh, and Chicago. Chicago got booked too. Okay. And then, uh, is there going to be any more kind of touring behind this, or is this going to be like all you do for the year, for as far as that, as far as like a book promo? You know, we, we've gotten so
0: much interest and in, in requests for me to show and and show up and do uh, book signings during May that we couldn't handle them all. That we we're thinking about maybe going back out in September and and hit some other markets that uh that I'm not hitting uh, this first time
2: around. So uh,
0: that's definitely a possibility and probably will happen. You know, awesome. A handful, if not a, an entire month, so we'll see.
2: Awesome, yeah. I was uh hoping that maybe you would be hitting Michigan so I could try to catch it, even though Chicago's not terribly far away. But yeah, well, I'd love
0: to. I mean, I like I like Detroit a lot, but it just wasn't going to work out this time,
2: right? For sure. Uh, and then socials where can people follow you and keep up with uh, the book tour and everything else that you got going on? Uh, the, well,
0: yeah, the Facebook page, Derek has. Fa- has- facebook page uh the instagram you can follow me and on uh, my web my webpage page as well i have a blog on there and uh it's
2: derrick s.com okay as that. and then the last curveball i'll throw at you uh, i always like to end these episodes out to a song uh what would you like me to end this uh, episode out to it could be anything just a song you've been listening to the last day or so square hammer by ghost oh okay is there a fun little story about that for you
0: no, but I'm just really into Ghost, and uh, I think that is such a cool, catchy song that uh, I have a radio show, and I was playing it every, you know, once a week, you know, at college station, and I was playing that song every day for like months. I mean, every every week for months, you know, and because uh, it's just a it's just well crafted, well well written, and catchy. You know, it's it's got hooks.
2: <laughs> How do you feel about uh, the reemergence of the various Papa Emeritus and so forth that they've been doing over the last you know handful of years? I think it's pretty fun, and uh, they just the new guy just came out. I think you, if you
0: may have seen it with that yep. song, R-". yeah, and uh, it's uh, – I'm excited to see what they do. You know, they're missing our Cleveland market, which bums me out. They're playing everywhere around our city, but here, um. So I, I hate traveling for shows, but I may. have. To, <laughs> I mean, they're they're playing Detroit, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. That surrounds Cleveland, but they're they're just driving through our city. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I saw them in the last tour. and It was wonderful, And, uh, and I they, they toured with Iron Maiden too. I don't know if you knew about that. They, yeah, they opened for Iron Maiden and that tour, man. And that tour didn't come to our city either. But that would <laughs> that would have been so damn cool, Ghost and Iron Maiden. Yeah,
2: Iron Maiden. that's damn definitely cool. a uh, torch passing type tour where you know the the quote unquote newer band and Ghost, you know, getting the the torch passed to by a legacy act like that you know definitely a great show i think for right. everybody you know that
0: do you remember that band funeral for a friend
2: oh yeah i still jam hours quite consistently
0: they uh they got the job to open for iron maiden in europe
2: a number of years back and uh
0: you know they're all excited about it i am too i'm like holy shit you open it? Yeah, i love iron maiden, you know. <laughs> yeah and uh then they came back to the states afterwards and you know they play you know i was hanging out with them and uh i asked them how it went and they're going oh it was a bloody nightmare
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's every
0: city every city booed them you know because they just were not the right fit you know right
2: well i even wonder to a degree as well like if some of these bands like you get a band like a slayer a judas priest a whatever these bands that are just have such diehard fans if it's sometimes I feel like it doesn't matter how great the band is or isn't. If it's not the band that people come to see, like that band that they're there to see, people don't care. Even though what I think a lot of people fail to realize is if the opening band wasn't there, you're not going to get like the 45 minutes to an hour or however long of a set that that opening band's playing. You're not getting that extra, of the band you're there to see. That's not how it works. <laughs> so, right, you know, exactly. Uh, you know, I think people should cut more slack to some of these opening bands. You know, it's fun Am to Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. My sister went and saw The Who in, uh, I
0: forgot what year it was, 79 or something like that. And uh, The Clash opened. Oh, shit. So it was
2: the Who and The Clash got booed. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. My dad still got, like, very much like myself, keeps all of his concert tickets or as many that he still has. And sometimes I'll see, you know, I'm probably exaggerating some of the lineups. But, I mean, I swear there's, like, a ticket where it was, like, Fin Lizzie opening up for Queen or no, something that, like that.
0: That. Was, that was a tour. That definitely okay. was a
2: tour. That was Night at the Opera Tour. Okay, yeah. And like I remember seeing it, and I was like, fucking eight dollars, get the fuck out of here. And I was like, you know, Queens on and yeah, you're right, Night at the Opera. And I was like, I think, you know, Thinley's at that point, you know, was probably maybe a, probably not on Johnny the Fox, but, you know, on fuck, whatever they're playing on and it's still killer. And so I was just like, I can't believe you paid eight dollars to go see that show and he's like, Well you gotta realize like, you know, back then like I worked at McDonald's making like a dollar something an hour and you know minimum wage being what it was and all this kind of stuff like the cost of living was completely different so eight dollars was like a you know a twenty dollar something ticket now and i was like oh but i mean some of the bands that like he saw and he's like yeah you know i remember seeing this band open up and it was a little known band and oh it just happened to be you know this band that is influential and you know whatever and he has all these experiences experiences like that and it's kind of interesting because i don't i feel you know i kind of got jealous seeing the watching the documentary and seeing a lot of the bands that you got to see play in these small rooms and, you know, maybe, you know, a band like the Jesus lizard never went on to be the biggest fucking band, but I mean, getting to see them in a room like you, you know, had them in and so forth. It's like, wow, that's crazy. And, you know, I can go see the band now. Like, you know, I think they just announced a a small run of tours or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I can go see the band, but it's not the same as seeing them. Like you did like back then. And and sometimes I get really bummed that I, I wasn't born, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years earlier. So I could have seen all these (laughs) bands, you know, that I wanted to see or that I'm into. Like, I think the biggest regret I have is, you know, just for kind of being so young is never got to see Pantera. And I think that's one of like the biggest bands of my, my era. That's like the big regret I never got to see.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, just think if you were, you know, whatever years older, you know, and
2: the shows that you could have seen when you're a little bit older, you would be old. (laughs) (laughs) but you have you you have the great stories though and i feel like that's the the thing that i don't i mean i've seen a lot of great bands in my time and i still continue to see a lot of bands and get inspired by you know there's i'm not familiar with how or don't know how familiar you are with the band crowbot but i think that's a band that has the sound of you know bands like a thin lizzie and a lot of those kind of bands that my parents raised me on But still has a a touch of newer school vibes to it. That's very much like the uh, my kind of a band, and marries those things very much like a ghost. It's it's got something for everybody if you're into older music like that, but it's still kind of in the new. And so, you know, I get excited when I see a band like that. You know, getting to go out and playing with you know various bands, sort of of that same ilk. you know, I get excited about that because it's like, well, I'm getting to see a band that is kind of carrying the flag for some of these other things, getting to play with the clutches and so forth as the you know, clutch may slowly on their way out over the next handful of years or whatever. So to me, I, I get excited about seeing things like that as a musician and a fan of music. And to me, it's like, I wish I could kind of maybe have the comparison to go back and be like, I remember seeing these bands 20, 30 years ago. And maybe you would kind of be in the same boat I am where you're like, but I'm really excited about this because I haven't seen this in 20, 30 years. And this band has got that it thing that's going to take the genre for the next 10, 20 years or so. You know, you know, it's crazy is that band Greta Van Fleet. I think it's I think it's
0: a really cool thing those guys are doing. And like you said, they're they're playing here. The eighteen hundred seat room and it's sold out. Like It sold out actually in a half hour. Oh, shit. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're just the hot thing right now. And uh, they definitely got that Led Zeppelin thing going on. And, and I, I read somewhere Robert Plant didn't like them.
2: Uh, I, I've re- i seen the interview thing that he did where he kind of jokingly was like, oh, I think they owe me some money or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I'd, actually, I guess this will be kind of the last question because I'm sure you have something you got to get to. But, I mean, what what has got you excited in music right now?
0: you know i like i said ghost i'm really i'm really hip to ghost and uh i'm not people are going to start painting my face like Ghost and going to the show <laughs> but, but that remind that, that takes me back to my kiss
2: i was just eight. gonna say
0: yeah, uh my second concert was kiss in 78 and uh i was a kid and it sure people all painted up dressed like gene simmons and paul stanley and I all went to the shows it was it was like it was a cool thing and uh I think this ghost thing is cool. You know, having seen the people having their fun, dressing up like the ghouls or like like Papa, and uh, and then the music being you know good. You know, it sounds like Blue Oyster Cult to a certain degree. Yeah, so, totally. You know, I dig that, and I dig uh the new sword. I like the new sword a lot. Um, this other band called Green Druid is that their name? Uh, it sounds right. I've I not heard what... them.
2: I've not heard their music, but I have heard that name being tossed around by some friends.
0: Yeah. It's like sleep. Okay. Green Druid, real long songs like that, which is cool, you know. And uh, that's about it that's going on right now. I'm not. I'm. I on my radio show, I play stuff that I used to listen to, you know, like I play Thin Lizzy and ACDC and Judas Priest and uh uh, things. They they just put out a
2: killer new record. I heard about that. I've not heard it, but oh shit! I'm not the biggest Judas Priest fan, but I was pleasantly surprised at how how good this new record is. Cool.
0: Yeah, they just played around here, and I didn't go to the show, and I heard it was just – they played with Saxon. I heard it was just a brilliant, brilliant yeah. show. And I love it, too. So, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff I play at my show. So that's the kind of stuff I'm listening to. You know, I, I listen to a few new things here and there. But there's – it's like art – it's like concert – no, no, not concert, but it's like comic books. Mm-hmm. The, the ones today. There are so many good comic books. I mean, you walk into the store and the the artwork's just amazing and they have them all laid out. The weekly issues, you know, they have like 20, 30 of them laid out and it's like it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's great. But, you know, I I just where do I start you know there's so much good music going going on right now it's like the same thing you know well where do I start you know I'll fall into something here and there but I'm not gonna go you know I I, I've been there done that you know as far as like having to be up on the latest thing and that was a lot of fun but now it's just you know I'm a little (laughs) fan is there
2: any band is there any band that you would like to to maybe work with as far as making an album cover for again I know that doesn't seem to be you haven't done in a while I don't think
0: no well Black Sabbath would be my my dream gig you know, doing a cover, a poster, anything for Black Sabbath would be, you know, wonderful. But, of course, that's
2: not going to happen. But uh, that would be my dream gig right there. Fair enough. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully see you around these parts on a book tour maybe in September-ish.
0: Awesome. Hey, thanks for
2: thanks for the interest. I appreciate it. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day.
0: All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: So that was my chat with Derek Hess, world-renowned artist glore. Man, I, I'm i still kind of a bit uh, in shock that I got to talk with Derek. Uh, like I said, he is just a great artist that I have admired for so long between his work in the concert poster medium, between doing Stress Fest or Hess Fest, as it was known, like I said earlier, and you know, growing up here in the Midwest, it is just uh, it was definitely a festival that every time I saw the lineup announced, I was always like, I wish I could drive myself to go to this festival because it has so many bands that I love, on it and, you know, watching that documentary and seeing the bands in the years that they were like, you know, early 2000s, seeing Converge, Azaleigh Dying, you know, just all these bands. It was like, man, I I saw them at that point and just how great those bands were and the records they were on. But, you know, for Derek to, to be such an integral part of music as a whole uh, between, like I said, his poster art, the Stress Fest, the clothing company, the the, you know just his drawings and illustrations and so forth you know being a huge music fan derek's name has been synonymous with a lot of the early 2000s metalcore stuff that i grew up on so to be able to talk to him was just kind of a very very a privilege i guess is the best word i can come up with it was a privilege to talk to derek hess for you know 30 some odd minutes and the dude couldn't have been more generous with his time uh once we stopped the recording of the episode uh, we chatted for another probably 15 20 minutes and I mean, I know that dude was really busy getting the book stuff all prepped and ready and getting ready to go to Hellfest and start his book tour. And, you know, just I think like I've beaten to death on this podcast. The dude could not have been nicer. Everyone that I've had on here has been so nice with their time, with me, answering my silly questions. And it's just crazy. Um, You know, when I got this interview, I was in uh, Chicago with uh, my friends and my wife uh, on a little bit of a vacation vacation. And when I got this, like the the email came through, I asked to, if I could interview him, and it got set up pretty quickly. And I remember just being kind of like nervous the whole time, like the whole weekend leading up to it. I had about four or five days before I, I got the interview confirmed that I was doing it, and I remember just telling my wife and our friends, I was like, I'm really nervous to talk to Derek, cause like he's so fucking smart, and like he, I've admired his stuff for so long. I, I'm just I'm I don't want to come off stupid and and all of that kind of stuff. So I mean. Hopefully I didn't. I, I mean, that's, I guess, up to, to Derek and, and all of you listening to this to decide. Um, but be that as it may, uh, Derek was super nice, and I'm really thankful again that he took the time to to talk to me about his book, uh, which if you are interested in buying, it is out now. You can find the book 31 Days in May. Uh, if you go to DerekHess.com, uh, there is a link to buy the book there. Uh, you can keep up with Derek as well across all his socials on Facebook at Derek Hess Art. Uh, Twitter is also Derek Hess Art, and if you want to follow him on Instagram, Derek Hess. Uh, but basically, if you just go to DerekHess.com, uh, all of the social links are right there in the upper right-hand corner, I believe. Uh, the book, again, 31 Days in May, A Visual Journey of Mental Illness and Addiction. <sighs> man, it's it's a bit of a thick book. Uh, obviously, it's not really a whole lot to read through, but man, it is, it is just really profound work uh, on a very serious issue. We are in May. Uh, starting this Tuesday will be May 1st uh, but basically uh, may is mental health awareness uh, and if you have seen the documentary force perspective uh, about Derek and his life with his drinking addiction and so forth and just uh, you know a lot of the things that he has gone through in his life in addition to just being a, a really amazing artist and a lot of it comes from the things that he has dealt with and sees uh, it, it's It's just an incredible book uh, and very reflective and, you know, very much like I said in the interview. There's certain things that, you know, Derek points out uh, in some of the the written text that accompanies this book that just kind of makes you think and sticks with you as you go on about your day and kind of makes you re-look at the world that you are experiencing through Derek's eyes after you see and read this book. Um, So I highly recommend it. Uh, Again, the book is 31 Days in May, uh, Visual journey of mental illness and addiction and again i really want to thank natalie and the rest of the adrenaline pr firm for helping get this conversation with derek set up uh, actually, I want to extend an, an even bigger thanks to Natalie and Maria and all the rest of the people at Adrenaline PR. Uh, without their willingness to work with me on having some of their clients come onto this podcast and, and talk with me about various things, I think that a team like that and you know the behind the scenes people just don't get enough thanks. So again, thank you to Maria. Thank you to Natalie. Thank you to everyone over at Adrenaline PR for uh, allowing me to talk to all of your clients and guests. Um It has been a pleasure getting to talk to some of the people that I have looked up to and admired for so long. Um, And hopefully the people that are listening to this uh, have a great time kind of being a fly on the wall and getting some of the questions that maybe they have as well answered uh, by myself. And, you know, it's just it's just been a lot of fun doing these. And I know a lot of people uh, on the YouTube version of these chats, uh, which are pretty much unedited, just straight up the chat as it ha- happens to be, uh, are getting on me for talking too much. And, and you know, some of the stuff that I cut out, <laughs> it's still up there. Um, so be that as it may. Um, if Again, if you would like to follow Derek, uh, it's Derek Hess Art on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram is just simply Derek Hess. And you can find all of that those websites, the links to the book, everything Derek's doing over at DerekHess.com. Uh, if you would like to follow Mosh Pit Nation, our partner of the podcast, you can follow them at moshpitnation.com, on Facebook at Mosh Pit Nation West MI, Facebook and Twitter are simply Mosh Pit Nation. Uh, if you go over there onto the website or Facebook or wherever, uh, you will find a review that I did of the ministry show that came through Grand Rapids a couple of weeks ago with Chelsea Wolf opening up. Uh, it was a lot of fun getting kind of back into the writing of uh, different things like that. And I haven't done really a lot of writing lately, so it was kind of fun to kind of, like I said, dip back into that mode and and write about uh, the Ministry show, which, uh, if you have not seen Ministry, uh, like myself, I had never seen them, it is a pretty wild show and it's really good. And even though they stick to a lot of the, uh, most of the new album, I think all but two songs off the new album uh, get interspersed with the the classics uh it just kind of goes to show the consistency of that band, really. It was pretty amazing to, to see how well those new songs and the old songs blended together. Um, but you can read all about my thoughts, again, on MoshpitNation.com or go over to the Facebook page. Uh, doing lots of stuff. Speaking of writing, I also, in the throes of writing for Metal Nexus, the uh, BJ over there was uh, nice enough to throw me a bone, and uh, I'm going to be writing the review for the new Bleeding Through record, which uh, i got to say, I'm only about, two and a half listens through that new record, but I, uh, I'm i very excited to, to write about this record, and I'm very excited for people to hear it. I think it's going to be very much like how I felt about the new 18 Visions record. I think a lot of people are going to be excited and pleasantly surprised at the return to roots, so to speak, of uh, the new Bleeding Through record. So look for that coming up on the next handful of weeks or so that that should be done. So again, thanks to... Jen and Moshpit Nation for hosting this podcast, Adrenaline PR Firm for basically allowing me to talk to their amazing list of clients, Uh, BJ over at Metal Nexus for uh, giving me an opportunity to write for them. I'll even throw some gratitude over to the Talk To Me podcast and Joshua Toomey uh, for allowing me to do uh, a couple of different writing gigs uh, assignments for him as well. Uh, just, you know, anytime anyone uh, allows me to do something in a creative uh, medium, music related, uh, it's always greatly appreciated. If you would like to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, you can at John's Untitled Podcast. Tweet me at John's Untitled Pod, and you can email me at John's Untitled Pod at gmail.com. And as we always do on the podcast, we are going to end this episode with a song. And as you heard Derek say, he wanted me to end it with one of his newer favorite bands, Ghost, with their song Squarehammer. So, without further ado, this is Squarehammer by Ghost. Talk to you guys next week.